Matthew 25, 1-13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Some things cannot be left undone until the last minute. No, we have to prepare for them. A surgeon will not wait until there is a patient on their operating table before they start practicing their treatment. No they actually study and practice years and years before they approach the surgical ward. A sun seeker will not wait until their plane is about to take off before they start saving for their holiday. No, they work hours and hours to save for that trip. A singer will not start learning their new songs and perfecting them just before a concert. No, as we all know, they learn their songs and perfect them weeks and days before the actual concert. So, dear friends, as we all know, some things cannot be left undone until the last minute. We have to prepare for them and be ready for them before they happen. Lastminute.com is very good for hotel bookings and car rentals, but not everything. We all know that. We have to live ready for something lastminute.com will not help with. The passage we are faced with today is a wake-up call. It calls us to be prepared and to live prepared already for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It uses a parable of a wedding ceremony to show us the mysteries of some of the operations in God's kingdom. Last week we learned that God forgives very generously. God forgives generously. When we plead for mercy, he forgives. But today, we are going to see that God's forgiveness operates within a time frame. A time is coming when pleading for mercy will yield no response from God. We need to do it now. We need to do it now. Now, verse 1 starts with the words, at that time, which suggests that it's a continuation of something. So I'm going to skim through the preceding chapter, the, the previous chapter, to give us some context to what, this, what today's passage is about. 
Now, in Matthew 24, the disciples were admiring a temple, and they called Jesus' attention to it. Probably they said, Jesus, look at this wonderful temple. Isn't it beautiful? But then Jesus says to them, that's in Matthew 24, 2. He says, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, this was quite perplexing to the disciples. So when they were together with Jesus on the Mount of Olives privately, they asked Jesus, you know what? When is this going to be? When is this temple going to be destroyed? And what are the warning signs? So Jesus took them on an eschatological journey, revealing to them the signs of the end time, the signs of when he will return. Because, you know what? He was really trying to tell them about what was going to happen in the future. So he wants them to be watchful because he's going to return in the last days. And, you know, many will be deceived. And he gave them so many warning signs. And his coming back was going to be a great cosmic event. So he was trying to tell them, look, you need to prepare for this. And he tells them one other thing. No one knows the day. No one knows the time. Not, not even the angels know of the time. Now, Jesus concludes chapter 24 by giving them an example of how they should live. And he, he uses um, this lesson from a wise servant and a wicked servant. The wise servant, knowing that the master has gone on a journey and not knowing when the master was returning, was faithful and, 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 and used the resources wisely. But the wicked servant thought the master had gone on a journey would belong, so was abusive to staff and, and, and wasted resources. So that was the warning Jesus gave them. And this whole thing was the, it is the backdrop of our passage today. So you can see that Jesus was actually talking about the end times. He was talking about wise and foolish and how one should live. One should live ready as one doesn't know when the master is going to come, which is him. So I want us to look at our passage today in two main headings, readiness and resolves. Readiness and resolves. Let's start with readiness. Five years ago, I landed the job I'm currently in here in Manchester. And at that time, I and my family, we lived in Glasgow. Now, being an immigrant, I had to apply for another visa before I could start my new job here in Manchester. So we booked an interview with the UK Visa Immigration Department in London. And we got an early morning slot. So, you know, it meant we had to be in London from Glasgow very, very early in the morning. Now, I'll never forget the amount of preparation we actually put into the application. <clears throat> all T's were crossed, all I's were dotted. And to be honest, if you're an immigrant, you would understand. It's, it's quite a tense moment, getting all the necessary documents ready. The car was fueled to the last mark on the gauge, and the tires were pumped to the right pressure. Now, the next morning, we set off at dawn. Just so we could make it early in the morning, in time for that interview. For such an important event, we had to be ready. We couldn't start preparation that morning. We had to start several days before. And we made the right preparation and we made sure we were there in plenty of time. That was how important that event was. See, when you have an important event to attend, you will not leave things to the last minute. Last minute is for holidays. Well, lastminute.com is for holidays. You know, when you just need something quick. But some things cannot be left to the last minute. No. You have to get ready for it. 
A wedding ceremony in the Jewish culture was also an important event. In fact, it is said that the rabbis, <clears throat> during wedding ceremonies or during wedding events, left the important work of you know, understanding the scripture and communicating it. They left that to attend weddings because they believed God instituted it. Was, it was something really important. That's how important weddings were. So it is no surprise to us that Jesus uses this parable of a wedding ceremony to teach his disciples about the importance of preparation for his coming. Now in verse 1, we are told that in the last days, the kingdom of heaven, which is <clears throat> excuse me, the domain of God's rulership, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, they had to take lamps because, you know, it was night, there was no electricity like we enjoy, and so lamps were needed. Now, in the Eastern culture as well, during wedding ceremonies, the groom would actually negotiate the bridal gifts and a few other things with the bride's family prior to going to the bride's family home to take the bride to his home. So that's usually what happened. Now, after this groom had come to the family home of the bride for, after this whole sort of negotiation and all that, the groom would then come to the bride's family home for a celebration which could last a year, a, a week, sorry, or two, uh, typically a week. Now, while the groom was on his way to the bride's family home, we are told that usually there is a procession of friends and neighbors and well-wishers with him. So people will join at various points in the groom's journey to the bride's family home. That's after the negotiations. In this parable, we are told that there were 10 virgins who were hoping to join this bridegroom's sort of uh, uh, procession to the bride's home. However, there was a clear distinction between the two, well, between the, uh, 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 the 10 virgins. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Without the parable saying, it probably wouldn't be easy to tell them apart. The difference between the wise and the foolish is stated in verses 3 and 4, and I read it. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. <clears throat> this was the only difference between the two. The oil, extra oil in jars with their lamps. I don't know why they didn't take the extra oil. Could have been laziness, could have been ignorance, could have been discomfort. We don't know and we are not told. Of course, if you have to carry the lamp and, you know, extra jar of oil, maybe they just felt, oh, you know what, it's too much work. I'm, I'm just going to dump it and just carry on with the torch or with the lamp. Well, we don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that what separated them from the wise was just that extra jar of oil. We know that the lack of oil made them foolish and we'll soon find out why. The virgins were waiting for the bridegroom, but the bridegroom was late in coming. And as we said, it could have been, you know, so many things could have prevented the bridegroom from coming early. In the culture of the day, they understood this. They knew that, you know, delay could happen. They, 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 it was known in the culture, it could happen. Now, because of the bridegroom's delay, the ten virgins became drowsy and fell asleep. At this point, again, there was no significant difference between the wise and the foolish, foolish virgins. Then, at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. 
come out to meet him. The time they waited for had come. Time for celebration, time for excitement. So both of them, the wise and the foolish, they jumped out of their slumber and readied their lamps for the occasion. This time, the difference between the wise and the foolish was clear. The wise had light because they had oil in their lamps. They could feed the lamps with the extra oil. But the foolish had no light. They had no oil to feed their dying or their lamps that had gone out. Now in verse 8, the foolish virgins asked the wise virgins to give them some of their oil because their lamps were going out. But the wise virgins gave them a helpful but not so helpful advice. They said, you know what, go. We are not going to give you any oil, but go to those who sell oil and buy for yourselves. Now I have a few questions in my mind. One. Shouldn't five lamps be enough for ten people? Surely, you know, two people could share a lamp. It is not like a shoe or a sock where, you know, well, I'm wearing my sock and my shoe, your, my sock and my shoe, your sock and your shoe is, 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 is gone, so, you know, we should share and we can share. It's not like that, you know. I, I'm thinking, surely, they should be able to share. But from the passage, it seems the answer is clearly no, they can't. The lamp and the light it produces, it looks like it's not actually a shareable thing, you know. Because why did they ask for extra oil? Why didn't they say, oh, you know what, we will join you and go. But they asked for extra oil for them to have their own light. It seems it's not that shareable. And it also seems that for such an occasion, to be honest, it would be shameful to not have your own lamp. You know, every worthy member of the groom's procession, procession should have their lamps. It's like going on the... Uh, uh, going for a wedding uh, uh, occasion today. Oh, well, let's say Tari and Claire's wedding. I go for the wedding and, and I'm like, I'm with Jez. I'm like, Jez, you know what? You've got this lovely gift. Let's tell them it's from both of us. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a worthy thing. You know, I, I want to have my own sort of present to give them. So it was that sort of thing, I believe. The second question in my mind is, where were they supposed to get extra oil in the middle of the night? Those days, they didn't have 24-7 DIY fuel pumps where you could go and you'll get fuel yourself. It wasn't like that. They would have to work harder to get fuel. <laughs> you know, and uh, to be honest, it was a dangerous time. It was, you know, in the middle of the night. But thankfully, we don't have an answer to this question. And I'm not going to attempt to answer because we weren't told whether they got extra oil or not. You know, it wasn't really stated. So I won't even attempt that to address that question. And then the third question in my mind is, wasn't it selfish of the five wise to say they were not going to share the oil? Well, the answer to this is actually in verse nine. The wise virgin said to, the, to their foolish counterparts, if we share with you, there will not be enough for both us and you. Meaning, if they share the extra oil, it was possible that none of them would be able to meet the bridegroom. There won't be enough. We will not be able to make it. So the oil in this case was not really shareable. Now, we've gone through half the story, well, half the parable so far. Let's take a pause and see what this means to us. What, does this, what is God telling us here? Firstly, Jesus is the bridegroom. Secondly, the wedding feast is the joyous event that will take place when Christ comes for his bride, which is the church, at the end 
of time when, 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 when Jesus comes to take the church with him. The delay of the bridegroom, therefore, is the seeming delay of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the ten virgins are people who are in the Christian community, you know, general Christian community, who profess to be Christians. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples privately. You know, this includes Judas and all the others. So, it's, it's those who call themselves Christians and are in the Christian community. Now, Jesus invites all these people to his great and joyous wedding feast, which is the great celebration that would happen at the end when Jesus comes. Now, some professing Christians will join him in this great celebration, but unfortunately not all. Unfortunately, others would not. Christians may do all the religious gymnastics, or I'll say rather, people in the Christian community may do all the religious gymnastics, but they are not all the same. People in the Christian community may pray, they may fast, they may do good deeds, they may go to church religiously, they may serve others fervently, they may preach to others passionately, but they are not all the same. People in the Christian community may even sleep or slumber spiritually, but they are not all the same. We are told that some professing Christians are wise and others are not so much so. So, what is the difference to us? What does that really mean? What is the mark of distinction? At this point, I think I will take a pause and visit Charles Spurgeon, who is a Christian theologian, for answers. We want him to speak to us. And I'm going to paraphrase some of the things he said about this passage, about the wise and the foolish. Now, this is what he says, and I paraphrase again. It is the want of oil of grace that is the fatal flaw in many a Christian's lamp. Many have a name to live, but have not the life of God within their souls. They make a profession of attachment to Christ, but they have not the inward supply of the Spirit of grace to keep it up. There is a glitter or a flash, but there is no permanent light. And there cannot be any, for although they have lamps, they have no oil with them. Unless the Spirit of God be in us, and indeed of any a truth, we may for a while make a fair show in the flesh, but the end will be like the blackness of darkness forever. Now what Spurgeon is saying here is Christians who have a firm faith in the Lord are the wise virgins, or are like the wise virgins in the parable. These Christians have a seal of the Holy Spirit in them, which is the surety that they belong to God. No one can borrow their parents' faith, dear friends. No one can borrow their friends' faith. Being born again into the family of God, into God's family is what matters. Even belonging to a Christian family and being born in a Christian family cannot make one a wise Christian, cannot make one wise, a wise virgin. Everyone must possess their, in quote, own faith. We all need to have a firm resolve in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with him. The foolish virgins took no extra oil because perhaps it was extra work to get the extra oil, you know, carrying a lamp here, carrying oil there. It was probably extra work. For some people, the extra work of pleasing their friends 
prevent them from making a firm commitment to the Lord Jesus. For others, the extra work could cause them to lose their families. They, they may even lose their lives. So they don't want to take this extra step. So they are unwilling to make a firm resolve to the Lord. For some people, the extra work is actually comfort. They think Christianity is too restrictive. They would rather enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin and enjoy being just selfish and feeding themselves so they can't take that extra step. If you have been around church for so long, but deep within you, you know that you're not born again, you've not made that firm resolve, you've not made that commitment to the Lord. I believe God is talking to you today. God is speaking to you right now. Don't play church. Commit to Jesus now before it is too late. And I tell you why. I'm going to encourage you why. The reason why I say this is because of the result you will enjoy later. The result you enjoy later. Remember, the foolish virgin had, had, had their results. Their actions resulted in consequences. The wise also did the same. So what are the results? So now let's move on to the second point results. About three years ago, Prince Harry married Meghan in what's is probably the, one of the most watched events in recent history. Over 23 million households tuned in to follow proceedings. Now, 2,000 members of the public were invited to Windsor to participate in the occasion. The guest list featured very prominent people across the world, you know, both local and international and, 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 and foreign. Foreign dignitaries trooped in. Uh, and, and, and of course, we have their own royals there as well. Now, I want you to assume that two of the guests, Mr. A and Mr. B, joined the procession to the Windsor reception. Okay. Now, Mr. A was well-dressed in his suit. He had everything perfect, on point. But Mr. B came in his beach, in a beach costume. You know, he was just in his beach stuff. Now, what do you think would happen to both of them? I mean, their dressing would have some results. You know, it would result in something. What would be the result? Now, this is not rocket science. You know, we, we, we don't have to think too much. Surely, there'll be two results. And surely, Mr. B, who was ill-prepared for the occasion, will be asked to go back and dress properly for the occasion. In fact, it would be too shameful to even go for such an occasion in your beach wear. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. They had to dress appropriately. But Mr. A, who was well-prepared, you know, who was well-presented, would be given the honor of joining the procession. Mr. B will be, result, will be rewarded for being part of the August occasion, and that would be the result of his preparation. So he had prepared, he was ready, and he got that result, and he would get that result. In our passage, we are told that these two, the foolish and the white, had outcomes as well. There were two results. The wise virgin, virgins had extra oil, and they were ready, and they were rewarded accordingly. They went in with the bridegroom, and enjoy their wedding banquet. The extra oil paid off. You know, sometimes small actions can result in very big or can have very big results. And this was one of those. When the foolish virgins returned from searching for oil, and again, we don't know whether they got it or not, it was too late. And even if they got it, it didn't matter. It was just too late. They were too late for the occasion. The gate was shut. It didn't matter now. They called to the bridegroom, 
And let's look at what the bridegroom says in verse 11. Oh, well, this is the call, sorry, in verse 11. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But in verse 12, the bridegroom's response was, truly I tell you, I don't know you. What an embarrassment. What a disappointment. What a disgrace. Now, one may think the bridegroom was being mean for not allowing the virgins to join the wedding banquet. That's the foolish virgins to join the wedding banquet. But that was not so. He was not being mean. Now, if I turned up at Prince Harry's wedding reception without an invitation, I would surely be refused entry and everybody would understand. It's normal practice. We all, we all understand that. If you don't fit the bill, you know, you don't get any result. That's, that's just it. The fact that I know Prince Harry, well, although superficially, I've just seen him on TV, I haven't met him face to face, but I can say I know him because I can recognize him. The fact that I know him does not mean he knows me. I could have probably even been in class with him, but I wouldn't have been invited. That's just it. No, in such a situation, it's not about whom you know. It is about who knows you. That's what matters. Whom you know doesn't really matter. The wise virgins were rewarded for their readiness, but the foolish virgins were humiliatingly rejected for lack of it. The bridegroom said, I don't know you. I don't know you. What sad words to say to someone. Perhaps you have said to yourself, you know what, I don't know Jesus and I don't care. I don't want to know him. My question to you is, how would you feel if Jesus, the judge of the universe, the ages, comes in his glory and power and says to you, I don't know you, and the door is shut before you? How would that feel? How would you feel? How would you feel? My brothers and sisters, the bridegroom is coming. Jesus is coming. One day we shall all be summoned before him, whether we believe it or not, whether we like it or not. Heaven's door will be shut on those who don't, who he doesn't know. Who he doesn't know. Do you have the light of the world in your heart? Because to be honest, even though we talk about lamps, and we talk about oil, it's all about light. If you had the lamp in the oil and you didn't have light, what did you have really? It was all about light, seeing light. And Jesus said he was the light of the world. On that day, it will be too late to ask for help. It will be too late to start searching for that true light, Jesus. It will be too late. This is the day, my dear friend. Don't think that the fact that Jesus hasn't shown up the past 2,000 years, means he will never show up. Well, Jesus said he was going to heaven to prepare a place for his people. His, in his father's house, there are many mansions, and he goes to prepare a place. So perhaps, this is my own sort of uh, assumption, perhaps he's still preparing a place and negotiating mansions and rewards for his bride, for his people, for his church. Someone may ask, what is the proof that he will actually come back? Why does the Bible speak so authoritatively about Jesus coming back? Well, I'll say, look at the cross and you'll see the guarantee. You'll see the proof. At the cross, we see God's faithfulness. You know, before Jesus came, the cross was predicted. 
God promised Jesus coming several years, several years before he came. His death and resurrection were promised and, pro and prophesied and planned several years, and they happened. People thought it would never happen, but they happened then. They happened. So Jesus is coming back. Amen. If you're a Christian, I want to hear your hallelujah. Can I hear Jess? Frederick? Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> They're shouting hallelujah. Yes, he's coming back. Amen. And we should be excited about that. He is coming back. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It will happen. God has said it and it will happen. That is the guarantee. It will happen. Jesus will come back to take the ready church which he calls to, 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 to what he calls his messianic banquet. A time we spend with him for a, ten, for a while, for a season. This has been foretold many times in the Bible, dear friends, and it will happen. And I, I think Jesus using many parables in, verse, in, in, in Matthew chapter 22 and even in chapter 24 means, look, this will really happen. It's not just one parable, many parables. That day... It's not just happening like any other day. It will come like a thief in the night when no one is expecting, when no one knows what happened. The day would be like the shepherd separating the sheep, which we will see later on in Matthew chapter 25 downwards in the subsequent verses. It talks about the sheep, the, the, the shepherd separating the sheep from the goats, which is more like the wise and the foolish. So that day will come, dear friends. Now, if you have been sitting on the fence for a long time, the Christian fence for a long time, not wanting to commit to carrying the extra oil of grace, this should motivate you to jump into the pool of grace. This is the day to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior because the day is coming when we will not be able to do so. The day is coming when the pool of grace, in quotes, will run dry. Because no one knows when the crucial day is, we are warned in verse 13. If you look at the last verse now, therefore keep watch. See, it says, therefore keep watch, for no one knows when the day is going to be. Therefore keep watch. Keeping watch means stay vigilant. I have talked so much about those who haven't made any commitment to the Lord. You know, I've said, if you've not, God is speaking to you right now. Keep watch. But what does that mean for us Christians? If you're a Christian here, what does that really mean? My Christian friend, you've got to keep watch. Because remember, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And all of them were there together. And he was telling them, keep watch. Awake from your sleep. Shake yourself from the chains of worldly discomfort. Get out of the relentless, relentless pursuit of money. Wake up from spiritual apathy. Because we don't know the day or the hour. Let us continue to do good. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Welcome the strangers and visit those in prison. Those who are held bound. Let us continue to do good. Do what the Lord has called us to do. Like a good servant. Because we don't know 
when he's coming. Because we don't know the hour and the day he's coming, let us be vigilant in making our, the calling of our election sure. Let us redouble our efforts in discipleship and evangelism. Because we don't know the day or the hour, let us continue to tarry in prayer and engage in spiritual warfare because we know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. Because we don't know the hour and the day, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Because we don't know the day and the hour, let us keep watch and stay vigilant like soldiers who do not entangle themselves with civilian affairs just to please their commanding officer. Let us stay vigilant and watch because we do not know the day or the hour. Verse 13 again. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. My dear friends, Jesus is coming again. We have to live ready for his coming. If we don't know him, it's time to make that commitment. And if we do know him, it's time to redouble our efforts and shake ourselves from slumber and look forward to his coming. Jesus is coming again. Amen. Now let us pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for this word, which calls us to wake up, such a wake-up call to the church. And we need these so often to remind us that there is more to the mundane things of life. There is more to our calling. So, Lord, if there is anyone listening to me right now who has been on the fence for a while now, you are the only one who can reveal to them and show to them what you're saying today, please, would you continue to speak to them? And we Christians as well, Lord, I just want to ask for that urgency and that and that um, spirit to just awake from any sleep we may be in, any dormant part of our lives which needs to be active and, 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 and needs to be on the ball. Lord, please, would you help us to awake from every sleep and slumber and, 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 and take on the baton and, 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 and carry on as you've called us to carry on. If you're here right now and you're listening to me and you, you don't know how to pray, you don't even know how to start a journey with Jesus, but you really want to, that there, that, that, that there is something in you telling you, look, take the step now. You don't know how to pray. I just want you to, in your own time, just say these words, in your own words, not, 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 not my words, but sort of, just speak out. God is near. He will listen. Just speak out to him. Tell him how sinful you are. You acknowledge that you've done some wrongs. And tell him how thankful you are that Jesus came and died on the cross. And he rose again and he intercedes on our behalf. And tell him how you come to him knowing that you are a sinner needing help. Tell him you are like that foolish virgin who needs oil the oil of grace and the precious spirit of god in your life tell him how you need your sins to be forgiven and washed away and tell him how you truly want to be a member of his family 
someone he knows, someone he adopts, and tell him how thankful you are for that opportunity to be part of his family. And once you've done that, seek a, Christ, a good Christian church, or you can use that email again, ask at gracechurchmanchester.net. Just give us a text if you want to take that step and probably want to go further in the Lord. We'll be more than happy to reach out to you. Father, and I just want to pray finally for anyone who might be in this situation, Lord. Please, would you be speaking to their hearts and reaching out to them in their own quiet, private moments? These we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.